Great Chicks in China podcast, where a British and an American girl satisfy all your curiosity and questions about what it's like to live in China today. And now your hosts, Holly and Nora. Hello, China enthusiasts! Yes, welcome back to another episode of the Two White Chicks in China podcast. Thanks for listening yet again. Thanks to everyone out there who has left us a review on Apple Podcasts, and also we've got quite a few reviews on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com/slash. Two white chicks.、Um, those are also appreciated. It's nice to hear your thoughts.、Um, we also want to say thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. For those of you who who don't know what Patreon is, this is a platform where. People like Nora and I, who create free content, can create a page, and people can pledge small donations. And hopefully, at some point, we will create some Patreon-only content, maybe some videos. Two white chicks on a train, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't heard in a previous episode, we are no longer sponsored by WrittenChinese.com. We're still friends. We're still friends. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> But we've gone rogue. So we are finding ways to continue doing the show, and Patreon is one of the ways that we found that people can help support the show if they think the content is valuable. Yeah, and another way that you might like to support us is by checking out our new、uh, China kit on Kit.com. We're there the, as the Two White Chicks. We created a travel kit. Basically, if you're new to China or, or intending to come to China, you can check out our list, and it's got some cool chopsticks on there. <laughs> if you're new to chopsticks. <laughs> And a nice backpack. All the essentials for your China adventure. Right.、Uh, so before we get started with the show,、uh, we have、uh, some nice comments from Andrea. So she sent us an email,、uh, and it goes something like this: "Hello, Holly and Nora. I discovered your wonderful podcast. Well, shucks, a couple of months ago, as I was looking for information on what it is like to live in China. When we travel, I like to learn about life as a local, and your podcast has been fantastic for that, as well as being very entertaining." We did a whirlwind eight-day tour. Wow, that is pretty fast. With guides traveling to Beijing, Xi'an, Guilin, and Shanghai in eight days. Wow! Wow! I had a little chuckle every time we encountered an eggplant dish. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't listen to the sounds of China episode until a few days into the trip, so I wasn't quite prepared for the phenomenal sounds associated with spitting. <laughs> You'll be amused to hear that one of our guides was an older lady and often said, "Huh." With that incredulous tone, after two days with this guide, my husband started using that expression too. At first, I thought he was being silly, but he didn't actually realize that he had adopted her "huh" expression after just two days. So don't feel bad if you're doing that after many years of living here. <laughs> mm, that one, right? The mm, 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 like mm, that, mm, mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> When、right. you agree with something,、yes. <laughs> I do that all the time now, especially on the phone. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm. Yeah. <laughs> And then we also received another email back from Andrea saying, "Last week we went to an Australian documentary about the pre-wedding photo industry. I think we've talked about that in the past, haven't we? I'm sure we've mentioned. mentioned we've never、it. done a whole show、no. about it, but we've definitely mentioned about these crazy, cheesy. Well, actually, now they're starting to get really cool.、Right. These pre-wedding photo packages for the bride and groom、mm-hmm. that happen sometimes a year before." Oh yeah. The wedding. It's definitely a fascinating industry for sure. So she says it included a very funny underwater shoot and a woman who had her photos done when she was in her forties and divorced. 
It also <laughs> focused on the pressure to get married, followed by the pressure to produce children. I knew that photos were done before the wedding, but until I saw this documentary, I had no idea what a massive industry is and to- uh, totally different to our concept of wedding photos. Actually, we I watched the trailer and you watched it too, right? I did too. It looks really yeah, good. It's called, you can view the trailer on chinalovefilm.com and they are showing it. You can actually go and watch it. But I think from the looks of things, it's only been shown in Australia at the moment. So hopefully it will get shown in other parts of the world. I doubt very much it will appear in China. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, yeah. Okay, so um, Nora, do you have a fact about China for us? I do, and my fact about China revolves around your ever-so-favorite fruit, durian. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Great. Holly's rolling her eyes because durian is not everyone's cup of tea. The odor of the fruit has been described as resembling feet, onions, and manure. Mmm, delicious combination. I personally really like it now, but it took me a long time to get there. We were gifted, and I've probably mentioned this in a previous episode, but I'll say it again. We were gifted just a massive amount of durian, and durian is very expensive. One small piece of durian goes for something like $10, $12. I mean, it's, it's expensive, and they call it the king of fruits because it's so nutritious. We were gifted for a ho- at a house party just like boxes upon boxes of this stuff, You can't really like put it in the fridge because it'll make all the food in your fridge smell like durian. And we, you can't leave it out for very long or it starts to go bad. So we just forced ourselves because we knew it was good for us and we knew that it was expensive. We were like, okay, let's just try to eat as much of this as possible. So my husband and I just, we started plugging our noses and just like shoveling it in. But after that incident, we actually both started kind of liking it. I, I, I know you say it, but I just refuse to accept this, <laughs> that anyone can actually like this fruit. I do like it. I mean, you know they like it here. They put it on pizza here. Yeah. They put it in, it's like ice cream. They use it. They there have like just, artificial durian flavor. Yeah. Or there are just restaurants or let's say cafes or whatever that are just for durian everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In Singapore, it's not allowed in most places because for of the a smell. good reason you're not allowed to take it on the metro with you there's a reason for that <laughs> oh so anyway i found this statistic is from the south china morning post again all the links for the show will appear on writtenchinese.com slash episode 133 so the value of china's fresh imports of durian fruit has climbed an average of 26 percent a year over the past decade, reaching 1.1 billion U.S. dollars in 2016. Um, The world's current biggest exporter of durians is Thailand, every year exporting 402,000 metric tons worth about half a billion dollars, of which most of it's going to China. Yeah, because they're trying to get rid of it. (laughs) Get this out of our country! Yeah, so yeah. if you haven't heard about this this fruit, it is a very lucrative industry and it's a very weird looking fruit too. It's huge. Like usually only you buy like a small piece of it. The fruit itself, I mean, it's like two basketballs. Yeah. And it's like really spiky it's and like you a basically porcupine. Yeah, and you basically have to like saw it off the tree. The stem is so thick, it's basically like a branch. It's very strange looking thing, but I don't know. I like it. <laughs> Feet, onions, and manure. Yeah. 
call me juvenile, but this just constantly reminds me of an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants where he makes a, a Sunday out of rotting things from his fridge. <laughs> anyway, uh, so my news article, it's a pretty quick one this week. But the headline is, Naked Woman Statue Has Nudity Restored After Being Covered Up. So this is about a European-style statue of a woman. She's naked. And this was placed in a pond in a residential community in Henan province. But unfortunately, people in the uh, complex didn't appreciate the nudity and decided that um, she had to be covered up. So (laughs) someone painted, and this is from the article, this is from the Shanghaiist, by the way, an extremely tacky pink polka dot bathing suit. (laughs) I really recommend that you go and take a look at these pictures because it is something. It's like an old fashioned, like long bathing suit, you know, like from the Victorian era. So she's like, you know, her legs are covered too. (laughs) Um, But then these photos were put online and I guess there was quite a lot of backlash about this and the management office decided that they needed to repaint her again, so now she's white again. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the community's elderly residents were not in favour for this latest change of repainting her white, saying the clothed version of the statue looked better, <laughs> noting that it is uncivilised not to wear clothing. Uh, and this is not the first time this has happened in China where a statue has been covered over. Uh, back in 2016, there was a... He was called the Naked Man statue, and he had his genitals concealed behind a pair of snazzy floral print pants (laughs) yeah it's amazing how conservative it is here i mean you see a lot of mini skirts and like legs for days skirts that Mm -hmm. i wouldn't consider skirts you know they're basically yeah (laughs) underpants but then, especially for, like, cleavage, like, frontal nudity, they're very sensitive. Yeah, you don't see a lot of that. We've talked about that in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see bum cheeks, but you don't see cleavage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let's listen to our question. Uh, this comes from Edward from the UK, so we'll let him uh, ask his question. Hi, Holly and Nora. This is Edward calling from the UK. I was reading this month about how popular the World Cup was in China, even though China wasn't in the tournament. I wondered which are the popular sports and games that Chinese people enjoy playing and watching? Are there any traditional Chinese sports that are still really popular? Or are Western sports such as football and basketball taking over? Many thanks. Bye. His voicemail sounds so professional. Yeah, it's nice. He's got a very nice like radio voice. Right. (laughs) Should get him on the show. <laughs> oh, where should we begin with this, Holly? Um, well, since Edward mentioned the World Cup, perhaps I can, if you don't mind me jumping in right there. During the World Cup, there was a lot of, um, you know, uh, questions online, like, why isn't China in the World Cup? Um, it's not about them having necessarily a bad team or not being good enough. So I couldn't find anything online. Like, I was looking for the answer to this question. And so Chamson, our lovely colleague from Written Chinese, told me the following. Footballers in China are so well paid that they don't feel like they want to try to become part of the World Cup. Like, they're quite happy as they are. Oh, really? And she also said that, in actual fact, the ladies' football teams in China are far superior. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. 
So, but um, if there's anyone out there who was in China during the World Cup, I don't know what it was like in the rest of the country, but in Shenzhen, people were really into it. There was lots of bars and clubs, like decorated, the football was on, and massive screens. And there were lots of Chinese people there, you know, cheering on teams and just really getting into it. And the thing is, even though China was not in the World Cup, they really took advantage of uh, advertising. Oh, that yeah. was the main thing. Yeah, and well, I mean, I'm not surprised. Football is the most popular spectator sport in China, and it's the most popular sport to watch on TV in China as well. It's, um, have you heard of this in your research about sports in China? Did you hear about this Tzu-Ju? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, actually, I don't know if you know, but, well, I hope you do, but um, a while back, last year sometime, I wrote an article about things that were invented in China. Ah, and that was in my article. That's right. So it was, it literally means kickball. Yeah. I mean, and then it's a, it's an ancient football game. It's recognized by FIFA as the earliest form of football. Yeah. It was a little bit different though, wasn't it? I mean, from what I understand, they had different variations. Like one form of kickball was to keep the ball in the air for as long as possible. But then there was another game that was similar, more similar to our like modern day football or soccer. Mm-hmm. as we should also call it, um, which was to pass the ball from player to player before I put it in a goal. I actually, I just want to add that in my article, although I, I did say that football was invented in China, I know there's probably going to be a lot of people out there that will dispute this. <laughs> so I'm just saying that's as far as my research, you know. And that was this was uh, invented during the Song Dynasty, 960 to 1279 AD. That's what I've got written down. <laughs> a while back. That's a long time a ago. A while back. Yeah, you can read about that. We can put a link to it in the show notes, the Wikipedia page, all about Suju and... You can read for yourself and decide for yourself. If it's really football's predecessor, who knows? I mean, kicking a ball into a net, I feel like that's something that a lot of kids might come up with. True, true. Actually, for my article for written Chinese, I found a really nice article on the BBC website, so we can maybe also add that, because it was really informative, and I only took like a small piece of that, but there was a video that went along with it, which was really nice. Oh, nice. How about basketball? Basketball... Well, from my understanding, football and basketball are like the big two in China. But for me, I see a lot more basketball going on. And I I see a lot more fans of basketball and people playing, obviously, than I do football. Um, And I I still don't understand this love of Kobe Bryant. (laughs) Because I feel like they're, they're on like... Chinese people like call him Kobe, like they're on first name terms with him, Mm -hmm. which I think is really endearing. But I, I, I'm not sure why Chinese people feel this like affinity towards him. But that's how a lot of celebrities they just call them. They they struggle with the longer names. So a lot of pop culture artists in China they they call them by their first name like Avril. I remember my students. Back oh, in the dear. day, we're saying, oh, do you like Avril? I'm like, what are you Who talking about? <laughs> and they liked Avril Lavigne. They just call him by the, the first name. They think that's enough. So, yeah, yeah Kobe. Of course, everyone knows who. Yeah, I, mean, I had a student yeah. whose English name was Kobe. I think we've all had a Kobe at some point. I, I haven't. I've had a Kobe, an Obama, an MJ. <laughs> MJ. Yeah. And I only taught for one year. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, and that was several years back as well. Like, Although Kobe Bryant was... I mean, he's still he's still big now. People still know his name, but maybe there are other people who who are more in the limelight in China now. I think you're right, though, in terms of basketball being more popular as like an after work 
activity because yeah. I think it's easier to organize. Like you can play basketball one on one with somebody, right. but with football, you know, you've got to really organize. You know, have to rent out a whole pitch and stuff. I think with basketball, it's just easier for them to play a pickup game. Yeah, and I think there are. I mean, there are a lot of um, carts in. The, I mean, for example, in Shenzhen. You, everywhere you turn, there's a basketball court, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's with them being smaller than a football pitch. I guess they're just easier to place, and I guess they're probably cheaper too because they don't have to. I mean, it can just be cement. They don't have to maintain this kind of like astroturf or grass right. or whatever. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about. I I don't know the details about basketball courts, but fair. I assume so. I right. mean, you just need a pole in the basket. You don't True. really have to pay special attention. I mean, if you just have like a recreational basketball. Court, you don't need a whole lot you can do mm-hmm. and you can do them in different sizes you know the football you need really decent size but with basketball you can do a half court game it's fine for one-on-one mm-hmm. sure. so yeah it's just a little more accessible and china's got its own stars in the basketball world in the states too yeah. of course you've probably heard of yao ming and then of and then more recently yi jian Lian. Oh, I do not know that person. I know Yao Ming, of course. But mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, Yi Jianlian has also been in the NBA, played for several, like the Lakers. And I'm not a huge basketball fan, so I don't exactly know. But I understand his story is a really interesting one. So if hmm. you're interested, you can also find more information about Yi. Oh, you're on first name Tyson. Well, it's his last name. Oh, that's his last name. <laughs> Chinese name. <laughs> right, sorry. Yeah, Chinese names are, are last name first and then first names, if you guys didn't know that. So if I say Yi Jianlian, his last name is Yi. Um, well, something that interested me was that this interest in basketball is not a new thing in China. In fact, China has been playing basketball since 1895, which is Ooh. actually only four years after people were playing it in the USA. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was brought over by YMCA missionaries. And um, they really like the game because of its teamwork-based structure. And um, it's been something that's been played since then in uh, universities and also within the army as well. But they did have, apparently, from what I've read, they had like more of a, a unique method of playing. It wasn't apparently the same as everyone else was playing it in the world. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know the differences. Um, until Yao Ming kind of came onto the scene, in which case the, I guess, American method was adopted here. I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, I was, I was reading about the like fans in China and especially in Shenzhen recently. There were, I think it was last year, there were some games here and the tickets sold out immediately. There were 20,000 fans packed into the stadium and uh, people even came really early just to watch the warm-up routines. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. It's alive and kicking, I suppose. It definitely is. So what are some other sports and games that uh, Chinese people enjoy watching or playing? I'm going to lump these in the same category, but tennis and badminton. Mm. Um, I feel like they're played constantly. Tennis, in a more professional sense, badminton's just like for fun. They play badminton everywhere. Yeah. Like they play them in the parking lots. They, they don't mm-hmm. even need it that. They just... Or indoors often. Yep. Yeah, you see a lot of kids. It's it's kind of a nice thing to play. Like Kids and adults can play and be relatively equally matched or at least be able to rally the ball. Uh, whereas with other sports, I think the, the level is really important and it's difficult for a child to play with an adult. Mm. So it's kind of a fun thing that families seem to do together and... As long as they've got a small patch of payment, they find a way to do it. I don't how, know how many games I've walked by, you know, like yeah. trying to walk home from the, the shop. In the middle of it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I've never been hit by a birdie. Along the lines of racket games, 
Of course, a big one here is ping pong. Right. Which I always thought was Chinese because the name is ping pong. Isn't it? No, I, I understood too. I thought you're a Brit. It's from your country. It is not. Yes, it is. Are you kidding me? It's from the UK. I thought, I thought table tennis was a Chinese invention. No. No It way. comes from the UK. Really? Money. I've never seen a British... Now everyone who's from the UK is going to contact me and be like, you've never played table tennis before? <laughs> I have never... I didn't... Like, rarely. Like, if we would go to... I remember once going on to... Going on, like, a field trip to where we went to this like, really cool place out in the sticks when we were about 14 on, like, a school trip. And there was a table tennis table there, and people were playing. But before, like, oh, now it's, it's, I'm questioning myself. <laughs> You'll see a ping pong table in, like, every school yeah. in China. It's, I mean, you just hear that sound. And they've had, they have so many world champions that it's not, it's no wonder that people associate ping pong with China. Yeah. Somehow it fits that sweet spot between like a strategy game and a physical game for Chinese oh, yeah, players. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of move. I mean, you're moving your arm, right? But it's not too like physical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like with um, basketball and with football, physique is so important. Like, I mean, just your natural, are you tall and big? Do you have long legs to run? And I've and a lot, like Chinese people, especially in southern China, are not known for being very big. And so they may enjoy playing the sports on a recreational level, but I think it's very difficult for them to go pro. Mm. Not that it's impossible, but it is much, much more difficult. And so with ping pong, it's more of a level playing field, and they tend to be very quick. And so mm-hmm. it's, it lends itself really well to natural abilities here. Yeah, on going pro, I think... I- from what I've read very briefly, it seems like gymnastics and that kind of thing is, is more the Chinese, like, forte. Yeah, well, acrobat- acrobatics mm. in China is definitely popular. I mean, has been historically really popular. Yeah. And talking about, like, Olympic sports, I found some interesting information about figure skating. So in Chinese, it's called bingxi. And this is also from Wikipedia, and it says, You might not imagine it from watching Brian Boitano today, but ice skating was once a warrior's art. Manchu men needed to master the skill to move 350 kilometers in a single day to get to their enemies. When they came to power in the Qing dynasty and moved from the north to the capital city of Beijing, it became a traditional sport. So it seems like it's invented here, too. So each mm-hmm. winter, 200 proficient ice skaters were selected to perform on the frozen royal lake for the court. Skaters would wear knee pads and secure their shoes with leather, shoes fitted with single iron blades for speed or double blades for security. Competitions for figure skating, ice acrobatics, and speed skating were also held for the benefit of the royal family. Yeah, it's definitely a, an ancient spot. I was really surprised when I read about that. Mm-hmm. I'm really shocked to find that it was a warrior's art, mm-hmm. like that it was a way for them to actually get around. But I guess if you're in a frozen landscape, that makes sense. So one thing that I found quite interesting when I was researching for this episode was that um, actually running is now one of the most important sports in China. Oh, really? Yeah. According to this article that I found, 44% of sports playing Chinese count running among their main activities. And people are just going crazy for, like, marathon running and stuff. 
Hmm. Um, in 2016, there were over 1 million marathon runners in China, says China expert uh, Martin Kostler. But in general, you don't see a whole lot of people running here. Just a few years ago, the only people I ever saw running were expats. Right. And I mean, I would see like kind of faster walking or kind of like trotting around the parks, but definitely not running where you're wearing running shoes and your legs are coming off the ground at any height. <laughs> yeah, I see some people running in my neighborhood, but I, I've also seen like on my WeChat moments, people doing, I guess, the for charity, like marathons and stuff. I don't know if they're full marathons or whether they're just doing it more for fun. I don't think they're actually like training hard for it, but still it's obviously becoming more popular. But I was really surprised. Running was actually at the top of the list, running, basketball, football, and then the others that we've also mentioned. Did you read anything about women's volleyball? No, I didn't. (laughs) So apparently the China women's national volleyball team is one of the leading squads in women's international volleyball. I had no idea. Hmm. Yeah, that surprises me. I'm surprised that volleyball is a a sport that people would be interested in. Men, not so much, but the women's team has done really well. So it's it's won the Olympic title in 1984 and 2004. And in the 80s, it was super popular. It took five consecutive world titles. In wow. the 80s. I feel like everyone played volleyball in the 80s. <laughs> I've never got it as a spot, if I'm honest. I, I it just went along with like the outfits and everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On a beach, yeah. One of the ancient spots of China was archery. Hmm. And um, this was actually part of education for an accomplished gentleman. Um, this was in the Zhou Dynasty. And uh, starting at age 15, they had to learn five techniques, including being able to shoot with enough force to penetrate a target and shooting three arrows in quick succession. I I quite fancy doing some archery. I like archery. Yeah, I've done it a couple of times, but it's it's a really big thing in the UK now. Along those kind of gentlemanly sports, fencing is also Mm. gaining popularity here. Oh, is it? Oh, it's also also an ancient spot, right? Yeah, like sword. Sword, sword play, play. Yeah. I see more and more training centers for kids doing these fencing lessons. Giving kids uh, swords. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. <laughs> I love it. They look adorable in those little suits. <laughs> Jabbing at each other. It is very, like, sport. It does really... It's a very sportsman, very civilized, let's say, yeah. sport. <laughs> well, a lot of the Ivy Leagues, like... You can get into Ivy Leagues in the States a lot of times by being good at fencing. <laughs> it like greatly increases your chance to get an Ivy League uh, university. So I don't know if that's part of it or if it's just well, they like it because of the... <laughs> wow. For real, yeah. I, I guess it's the same with Eton and those kind of schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another ancient spot I found was Polo, apparently in the Tang Dynasty. Uh, nobles loved to hit wooden balls with a stick on horseback. <laughs> Of all, during this dynasty of all 19 emperors, 11 were hardcore fans. Uh, two of them even died uh, in polo accidents. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, and it was also actively practiced by ancient Chinese women. Not all Chinese women, but women in that <laughs> dynasty. <laughs> yeah, which is nice to hear that women were also involved. Mm-hmm. Another ancient sport that's still being played today in China are the dragon boat races oh yeah yeah it's kind of like crew i guess they have Mm. these super skinny super long boats and there's usually a race most of the time it's just for fun 
Um, but I think there are some prizes and they race during Dragon Boat Festival, which is in like July. And let's not forget about Tai Chi mm-hmm. and the other and Kung Fu arts, and the other yeah, yeah traditional Chinese martial arts. Mm-hmm. I think mostly it seems young boys seem to take part in these classes, I think. Um, from my kindergarten days, not me, being a child, being a teacher, there was a lot of a lot of boys in my class who did those. I think the parents thought that it would help them express some anger. Mm. <laughs> um, but not. I didn't know any girls who did it. Tai Chi seems to be more for older people. Um, and actually, there's a lot of variations of Tai Chi here. One of my favorite ones to watch is the one where they have a kind of a racket. Mm. It looks kind of like a badminton racket, actually. It's slightly smaller. And on it, they have a ball. And they're like swooping the racket around their body and all these crazy movements. And the ball stays yeah. anchored to the racket just by gravity. And it looks really beautiful. And a lot of times it seemed to be done by older people. I guess it's probably really good for the joints, mm. this kind of movements and stuff. It looks really cool. And then there's like Tai Chi with swords also I've seen. Yeah. Uh, if you go to a public park in the morning or in the evening, you're going to find people doing tai chi and a lot of them have like special tai chi like these silk matchy outfits that I they think wear. that's the only way what, only way you can do it is if you have the outfit mm. you're not allowed <laughs> there's a lot of people who take classes early morning before work adults uh, for tai chi or after work it's it's super popular mm. here it seems to be mostly when I've seen let's call them classes it seems to be one-to-one like on a very intimate like level Mm-hmm. It's it's really nice to watch actually. When my parents came to stay with us, my dad would get up really early and watch a guy doing his tai chi on the grass below us. It really can be beautiful. Mm. Um, one uh, last ancient spot that I found, uh, which amused me quite a bit, was uh, Chinese golf. <laughs> oh yeah. Which um, I mean, just sounds like golf to me, but I do not play. It says that Chinese golf was usually set in open country with various landscapes. There were 12 holes spread across the course with small flags inserted beside them. Whoever strikes the wooden ball into the hole with their sticks gets a point. Okay, so it's a little bit different with a point system, I suppose. Um, But apparently this was a game that everyone played, even like the emperor and nobles, but also common folk and children. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, modern golf has definitely been making a comeback in China. It's a very mm. popular sport for Expensive business people. Spot too. Extremely. And it's it's very popular for high-level business people to have golf memberships and to play golf for networking purposes. I think I get the impression that golf is used like that all over the world, but it just does really well in China because there always seems to be business going on. So they probably do some golf and then go for dinner and drink lots of baijiu. Mm-hmm. I mean, golf seems to be pretty expensive anywhere you go, but in True. China, you have no idea. I mean, just imagine how densely populated a city like Shenzhen is, and there's quite a few golf mm. courses here. How much that land is actually worth for development purposes, it's yeah. really, really expensive yeah. to play. I think I know there are a few uh, driving ranges, and apparently they're more affordable for us plebs. that's all i need yeah i wouldn't mind a go actually i think it'd be fun yeah well we can put that on the patreon page too (laughs) (laughs) send us to play golf actually if uh i would i wouldn't mind doing one of these uh ancient spots actually if someone can find me a place to do some uh 
ancient archery. That would be pretty good. Hmm. So shall we learn the word for competition in Chinese sure. today? Sounds good. So the word for competition is bisai. So if you want to add that word to your flashcard list, you can find the link to it on writtenchinese.com slash episode 133, or you can just search bisai in the dictionary online or in the free written Chinese dictionary app. The opinion for that would be B-I-S-A-I. And you can add it to your flashcards to study later if you are learning Chinese. Mm. I think in the Written Chinese Dictionary app, there are also some sports-related flashcard sets that you could purchase if you would like. As always, if you're listening and we raise a question that you're curious about, you can leave us a voicemail at writtenchinese.com slash voicemail. Or you can leave us a written question or comment on our Facebook page, as we mentioned before, facebook.com slash two white chicks, T-W-O, spell out the number. And we also get all the written Chinese emails, so anything you send to support at writtenchinese.com, we are the guys behind the scenes. Okay, well, that's it for us from this week. We hope that you tune in again next week for another episode of the Two White Chicks in China podcast. Bye. Bye. Thank you.